the scripture reading this morning comes from the book of John 15 verses 1 to 17. I encourage you guys to follow along. The reading is as follows. I am the true vine and my father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As my Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer, because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sister Akite. There's a lot in this passage, of course. We could cover it over many, many hours if we wanted to. I won't be doing that, but uh, what we do need is God's help that we might draw out the kind of focus he might have us apply to this passage, uh, bearing fruit. So let's pray and ask God to do that. Let's pray together. Lord, we need your help. We know, you know, we're a people that tend to have hearts that stray, minds that are easily distracted. And even when we do hear what we need to hear, we're, we are weak to obey. <laughs> we need your help through and through from the understanding of your word to the absorbing and embracing in our hearts of your word to the obedience that you call us to, to your word. 
And so we ask that you would come and give us your Holy Spirit. Give us help. Make this time profitable for every single one of us. Encourage our hearts by it. Strengthen us and help us to see you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You are like a tree. The prophet Jeremiah explained as we considered Jeremiah chapter 17 a few weeks ago. You're like a tree. And so the question the prophet posed to us was this, where are your roots? Where are your roots? The prophet likened the life of faith, of trust in God, to the picture of a tree that was planted nearby streams of water, uh, where the tree sends out its roots deep under the soil into the river, where it could draw life, draw water from a nearby stream, even when the weather was bad, when a drought or famine set in, when the sun was blazing, when there was no water on the surface, even still, despite the poor weather, the tree might flourish, even bear fruit, remain alive because of where its roots were set, deep into the rivers of life. And so we raised that question a few weeks ago, how do we grow in this trust in God that even defies the bad climate of life, the harsh conditions, even the harsh conditions of an enduring pandemic? How can we thrive as God's people even still? And so we've presented before ourselves two spiritual practices, two ways we can shoot out our roots into the very life of God, two ways every day, day in and week in and week out, we could practice trust in God and even flourish and bear fruit. That first spiritual practice that we've been looking at over the last few weeks is the spiritual practice of Sabbath. Finding regular rhythms of rest, of, of ceasing, of restoring, of feasting in Christ and in a state of rest. Today we're starting over the next couple of weeks an examination of a second spiritual practice, what we'll be calling abiding in Christ through word and prayer. This is simply an invitation to set aside time to spend personally with God and to do so on a regular basis. It's an invitation to cultivate new habits of spending time with God in, in prayer, in meditation, and in scripture, talking with God, listening to God, and just sitting in the presence of God. That's the invitation today and over the next few weeks. Will you, dear friends, grow in the practice of spending time time with God. 
And so what we have before us today in this passage in John 15 is another picture, another tree-like picture, one that Jesus offers his disciples. It's that of a grapevine. Jesus is telling us that he himself is like a vine. Verse 1, right from the start, he says, I am the true vine. And again in verse 5, I am the vine. In the Old Testament, the vine is often a symbol of Israel, which unfortunately fails to produce fruit. Jesus says he's the true vine that produces good fruit in and through his people. Jesus is the vine. His followers, his disciples, in verse 8, are the branches. He tells us in verse 5, I'm the vine, you are the branches, and God the Father is the gardener, the farmer. Again, in verse 1, my father is the vine grower. I don't know if this illustration, this picture that Jesus is painting before us means anything to you. I don't know if you're familiar with the way that vines and vineyards work. I actually happened to be able to swing through one, spending a few hours with family at a nearby winery in Virginia. We're driving through and seeing rows and rows of these grape plants and noticing this narrow trunk that arises out of the ground just a few feet tall, brown and coarse and bumpy, a couple inches in thickness. That's the part of the, the plant that Jesus is referring to as the vine. That's Jesus, he says, the life-giving trunk, as it were, of this vine plant. And then coming out from that stalk is a, a, a network of thinner branches that sprawl outwards, that crawl uh, through the trellis and, and, and through the rows of this plant with lush green leaves Bunches of glorious purple grapes that would grow off of these branches. That's us, Jesus said. We're those thinner branches that depend upon, that are plugged into, that draw life from that vine. This is the picture that Jesus calls us to consider today. And at the heart of this picture is a word that Jesus repeats again and again. And it's really what he's getting after, what he invites us to ponder through this image, this picture. It's an amazing word, and here it is. Abide. Abide. It means to remain, to stay, to dwell, to continue to be Present. The opposite of it is to depart, to disconnect. Again and again, Jesus uses this word that we don't use as much in modern English today, but he says it in verse 4, abide in me, remain, stay connected to, be present with, dwell, abide in me as I abide in you. And again in verse 5, those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit. Verse 9, abide in my love. Abide. 
Ten times we find this word in this passage. It's Jesus's main point. It's the reason he gives us the picture for the vine and branches. But what does it mean? Can we unpack that together briefly? Two lessons. The first is this. Christ abides in you. Christ abides in you. You may notice across the the various words in this lengthy passage, Jesus actually gives us an overview of the meaning of the Christian life itself. Again, he tells us right from the top, God is the farmer, the gardener, the one who plants, cultivates, and grows. He says, verse 1, I'm the true vine, my father is the vine grower. Notice Jesus doesn't say, plant yourself. He doesn't say, give life to yourself. No, he knows and he's reminding us again that God is the life giver, that God is the source of true spiritual life. It's why he says in verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you. You get connected to God by his initiative, his love. That's why the Bible talks about salvation, talks about the Christian life as a gift of God's grace. It's something that God initiates, something that he does, something that he gives. Jesus then also describes spiritual life as a form of intimacy with God. Not just a matter of religious practice before God. In fact, he uses the language, you might have noticed, of friendship. Verse 12, no one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, I did not call, I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. I mean, maybe you've gotten used to this language. Maybe it's too familiar that you've forgotten how stunning it is. Let me say those words again. Jesus, the Son of God, the God of the universe, says this to you. You are my friends. Here's an invitation to know that God calls you in Christ a friend of God. And what is a friend but someone who shares their hopes, their plans, shares their laughter? I mean, how would you describe a friendship that you share with another human being? Someone that you consider a friend. Friends are people that we share our vulnerabilities with, uh, where we get close enough and expose ourselves to the possibilities of getting hurt. Friends are ones to whom we disclose the the innermost parts of ourselves, even our anguish and our frustrations. Do you hear the invitation to intimacy with God implied here in this language of friendship with God? 
Jesus says he's one that shares his inner thoughts with his people, with you and me, not just his directives or his orders, telling you what to do, but not sharing his heart. I mean, it's worth pondering for a second. Some of us, even those who have been walking with Jesus or calling yourself Christians for years, maybe even your whole lives, do you know Jesus as a friend or do you personally only relate to him as a servant, taking directives and orders? Do you, have you cultivated something where you can say that God is more than just a stranger to you? Can you call him genuinely, not just in title, but in reality, a friend? And it's a friendship, of course, Jesus tells us, that was ignited, started, generated by the ultimate act of friendship, the sacrifice of one's own life. He says here, of course, no one has greater love than this, verse 13, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus says friendship in God, friendship with God begins with the truest of all friends, Christ himself, who died for our sins, took the hit that we deserve for our sins, stood in our place before the courtroom of heaven and said, punish me with your justice, O God, Punish me instead of him, instead of her. This is the love of the true and ultimate friend, Christ himself, who is the epitome of friendship. You see, and then he takes it even further than this in the way that he describes the intimacy that he's inviting us into. Takes it further into an even deeper, a most mysterious kind of divine intimacy that's offered to us through Christ. Listen to verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. It's not uncommon to believe that God is love. It's also not uncommon to believe and to cherish that God might love you even in your sinfulness, even in your brokenness and your weakness and moral repulsiveness, God loves you. We shake our heads and we say yes. But behold, the unfathomable extent of his love, intensity of his love. Did you hear what Jesus said? As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. The love with which Christ loves you is the same love with which he has been loved by God the Father. The eternal love that is shared amongst all three persons of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, this eternal and infinite dance of love and other regarding favor, The joy that they share in each other, not just for each other, but in each other, dwelling within one another, delighting in each other, lifting up one another in praise, shining the spotlight of their hearts and words upon the other in love. What kind of love is this 
an eternal love, an infinite love, a love that literally knows no bounds. And Jesus says, that's the love that I love you with. The love that the Father has for me passes right through me, as it were, and I offer it to you in sacrifice, in care, and in love. Christian salvation is not God loving at distance. It's you being pulled and brought right into the crossfire of the eternal love shared between God the Father and God the Son. Jesus loves you with the same love with which he's been loved by the Father. You have been brought into the very life and love of the triune God. So that's the picture. That, that's what Jesus says following him is all about. I mean, it's the furthest thing from what we normally have in our minds when we think of, uh, I guess I have to do some religious thingies. But, you know, I'll read the Bible. Oh, read the Bible. Uh, go to church. I'm tired. Daylight savings is screwing me up and whatever. I don't know what it is, right? Love my neighbor, love my enemy. No way. I mean, and, and this is the sum total of what we believe God has invited us into. Behold something quite different. That you are being called into something that can only be described as Christ abiding in you. The very life of God poured into your soul. Abiding, remaining, staying, making his home in you and me and all those who place their faith in Christ. We are brought into such an essential, inconceivably intimate connectedness into the life of God and infusion with the life of God that Jesus says, I'm running out of words. Let me just give you a picture. It's like a, 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 a vine that's got a branch that's just like stuck in there and it's connected. You pull it off, it's going to die, but you put it on, it's going to bear fruit. And that's just the union that God shares with his people, that you are intimately indwelled, connected to one another. You're part of the same whole, distinct, and yet one Something like that, says the metaphor bringing Jesus. He says, this is what it means to be in me and I in you. That's what theologian and author Andrew Murray calls a living connection where we derive our life from God, a vital and intimate communion where, to use that metaphor, the living sap of God, as it were, flows from the vine into our souls that we might bear fruit. Deriving our life and our fruit producing strength from him. It's what theologians will sometimes describe with opaque language like the co-inherence of God and his people, which is simply a way to say we are mysteriously one. Christ abides in us. 
Again, Andrew Murray, theologian, says that we can imagine Christ saying to us through this passage, think how completely I belong to you. I have joined myself inseparably to you. All that is mine is yours. You are weak, but I'm strong. You are poor, but I'm rich. Trust my love and grace and promises. I am wholly yours. Behold the offer of God. As I mentioned recently, the words of Augustine, who tells us through his words that he prayed in writing, God is nearer to me than I am to myself. Do you know a God that intimately united to the deepest place of your soul? And in saying that he abides in us, he remains in us, he stays connected to us. Do you know how relentless he is in maintaining that mystical union? He will never let you go. He will never let you go. He will never depart you he, from you. He will never let you go. And again, friends, this is just a different picture from what we normally associate with what we understand the Christian life to all, be all about. You don't just get a little bit more help, spiritual resources or advice to just make life work a little bit better. You don't just get a little bit of a, a spiritual high, spiritual vitamins once in a while, pop into church, come out, you know, get a hit there, there, pick you up. You don't just get a little bit of this or that. You get God. That's what's being given to you, to me, to us. This is the offering of the gospel. Yes, it's forgiveness of sins, but that's so that we could have a reconciled relationship so that we could be brought back into fellowship with God. The gospel is an invitation to union with nothing and no one less than God. Christ abides in you, remains in you, and where nothing will separate you from his love. Christ abides in you. Secondly, then abide in Christ. And we'll run through this quickly. Abide in Christ. Again, Jesus uses this amazing word abide, but he uses it not only to describe how he intimately dwells in us, but also how we're to dwell in him. See, it's a mutual indwelling. Verse five, abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I am them bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. Remember, again, abide, what does that mean? To remain, to stay, to dwell, to continue, to be present. Jesus is talking about remaining attached to the vine. Not in order to secure your own salvation, but to drink from the life sap of God, which he freely offers to you for your flourishing. This is an invitation for us to learn how to just be in constant communion with this God who has loved us so. It's an invitation to have your life more fully framed by, defined by, and anchored in the freeing, liberating love of Christ for you. 
every single one of us, friends, is abiding, remaining, connecting with something or someone. You know, who or what are you in sustained communion or conversation with? It might be a person. It it, it might be the old words that were once uttered to you years ago that continue to define your identity and your behavior. Uh, Maybe it's the ongoing public conversations that you encounter in social media or in the headlines or in the news. Whatever it might be, we are all abiding by, we're all drinking sap from something. What is it? Are you even aware of what the answer to that question is? We are abiding as branches to some vine. What's the vine? Here's the invitation for that vine to be Jesus. That he might form us. That he might speak to our fears and cultivate our dreams and allow us to let our guards down so that he might shape and make us into the branches that he has called us to be. He tells us more about this abiding. He tells us about the focus of this abiding. He tells us we should abide in the words of Jesus. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Commentator Fred Bruce has said this, that Jesus is talking about the one who remains in him as the one in whose heart Christ's words have a permanent residence. Uh, Jesus is telling us, remain in my words. Let them soak into your heart. Let them be the blueprint upon which or out of which you build your lives. Let them be the very sap that gives you life. Another focus of our abiding, Jesus says, is the love of Christ. In verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. I mean, what an incredible invitation to soak and to saturate our souls in the love of Jesus every moment of every day. Will you receive this invitation of abiding? Jesus gives us not only the focus of our abiding, but also the way of abiding. He tells us to pray. You heard this, right? Verse seven, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask, that's prayer, for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And I'll confess for years and years in reading this passage, my focus has been on, oh, well, here seems to be a promise that I can get all my prayers answered if I simply spend more time with Jesus. And of course, it's worth considering the implications of this statement. But I think really what Jesus is getting at more than that, sort of this, this promise of answered prayer, is just this understanding that if you're hooked into the life of God by abiding in Christ, your life is just going to bear all kinds of spiritual fruit that will be for your joy. Here's how Teresa of Avila, a mystic theologian, thinker, author, from years ago, centuries ago, of course, once said, she said, prayer means being on terms of friendship with God frequently conversing in secret with him who we know loves us. 
Yes, see, I think what Jesus is really getting at is not focusing on how many of your prayers are going to get answered, but do you know God, as we said before, as friend? And if you are friends with God, you will talk to him always and often. And if you're talking always with God and drawing life from his life sap, then you will bear fruit and your life will spill over with answers to prayer and joy and obedience to his commands. See, the focus is the intimacy that we share with God, not just the answers to prayer that we get through God. And of course, that's what Jesus lands on when he tells us about the outcome of our abiding in him. And that's just a life of abundance, fruitful abundance, verse 16. I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last so that the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. He's inviting us to a fruitful life, the greatest fruit of which is love, which he commands us to in verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. It's an invitation to the fruit of joy. Verse 11, I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And to cap it all off, it's an invitation to the fruit of giving glory to God. In verse 8, my father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. So the invitation is to an abiding, not just a ticking off the checklist of a little time in prayer and a little time in God's word and moving on to the things I really need to get to. Not just checking off our list of religious duties, the things that I need to do in order to make life work, a means to an end, which is generally a, a, an easier going life and a life where I don't get tr in trouble with God. No, here's a different kind of invitation. A life where your heart and your mind and even your body is so saturated by the love of God that your life begins to spill over with freedom and joy and love itself. This is the life of abiding in Christ. So what does this look like? We're going to talk about this practically over the next few weeks. The practical invitation, of course, is that you and I begin to consider how we can, on a more routine basis, set aside time to spend with God. Time in God's word, time in prayer, time where we were able to soak our souls once again in the love of Christ. We're going to be talking about a very helpful tool that we've already introduced, did so at the end of August. It's called the Daily Prayer Project. There's a lot of different really good so-called devotion materials that are out there. You might already be using some. If you'd like to, you may continue doing so. But collectively as a community, we want to start walking forward and trying this one out. It's a prayer liturgy that can be used daily and even more than daily, both in the morning and in the afternoon or evening. 
It's something that can be done individually, but also in groups. It's helpful because it sort of spells out what you can think through, pray through, reflect on, how you can read through the Bible and have basically these passages set out for you where you don't have to come up with it on your own and just guides you through a more regular life of prayer. We're going to talk about that together. We're going to walk through that tool together. I'll reintroduce you to it. The invitation, though, is to abide to abide. And friends, this is really what I'm getting at here and talking about this, why the main application of this is not simply get to your Bibles, pray more every day, but it's this. Can you understand that the goal is not just prayer as an activity and duty or just opening your Bible as a activity or a duty, but do you understand those things as a way of encountering a person who loves you so, of soaking yourself in the presence of God so that we might be a people of abiding every moment of every day. You and I who daily are plagued, sometimes even controlled by our anxieties, our insecurities, our fears, our pride, our unhealthy ambitions. What would it look like rather to be controlled and compelled by the love of God? I mean, really, this is the question. Who among us wouldn't want to spend every moment of every day fully aware of and alive to God's love? That's what this is about. Abiding in the love of Christ and refueling ourselves again and again because it is in the heart a battle of attrition, isn't it? Because we fill ourselves up and it slowly wanes away. We remember the promises of God and then we slowly forget. Here's my practical challenge to you. Many of you are coffee drinkers, right? You wake up in the morning and what do you tell yourself? I'm not going to have the energy or the focus to get through the demands of today unless I fill myself with coffee. And then the caffeine wears off and in a couple hours you tell yourself, I need another cup. And maybe you go through lunch and you hit that terrible hour at one o'clock where you're like, what I really need is a nap or another cup of coffee, right? What if we approached our time with God just like that? Where you wake up in the morning and say, I'm not going to be able to get, it through the, get through the day without the spiritual energy that I need from being in, flooded with the love of God. So here, let me take a big gulp. And then you get into your daily rhythm, whether if it's work or if it's at home, whatever your challenges might be. And slowly, and we all feel this, the love of God starts to feel farther and farther away from you and the fears and the anxieties, the stress creeps in. The doubts and the things that you're worried about, they start to take over. And then what do you need? Another cup of coffee. A pause. A time to pray. A time to spend time in the presence of God, to be renewed and refueled by the love of God. And then you hit the afternoon, and again, it's a battle of attrition, right? Where the love of God seems far. You need to refuel your soul, your heart, one more time. And throughout the day, why do we think our souls would be any different, right? Why would we think that we wouldn't need to keep refueling ourselves again and again? Again, here's the question. Who wouldn't want to spend every moment of every day fully aware of and alive to the love of God in Christ? 
And so, consider your mornings. Here's the homework. Consider your mornings. When and where might you be able to start your days in the presence of God? Right? So homework number one here. The first of these three weeks on this topic of abiding in Christ and word and prayer is not here. Here's a 10,000 pages of the Bible that you need to read. No, no, no. Homework for day number one, week number one is consider your life. When in the morning and where, what couch, what chair, what place in the room, where might you be able to carve out space and time to be able to sit, exhale, and drink from the fountain of life. Because this is the invitation, isn't it? To place yourself in the crossfire of the love of God the Father and God the Son. To actually sit and drink from the infinite love of Christ who shares with you the very eternal love with which he has been loved and he gives it to you. And he says, abide in that love. Remain in that love. Plug yourself into me in that love like a branch finds its life in the vine. Don't you see, when we get the picture right, it's not just a demand and it's not just a duty. It's a delight. And it's not a soul and body crushing burden. It's an invitation to life. Will you take it? Abiding in Christ in word and prayer. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this uh, picture, this, this reality that you invite us into. Uh, I, I just pray mainly today that you would stoke our appetites, that you would make us hungry, that you would even maybe expose in our hearts, our souls, the, the vacuum, the emptiness maybe that we've been sort of living with, maybe even aware of the emptiness, but not doing anything to fill it. Make us hungry because you've spread before us a feast. Uh, you've, you've offered to be for us uh, food through the vine. But make us hungry that we would actually want to abide in the way that you've called us to abide in Christ. And so, Jesus, we pray that you would come, send your spirit, uh, work in our hearts, give us this gift, even Jesus. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.